My name is Jeff Doringer. I do serve on the team here at Hope Church, and I'm grateful um, to be uh, just sharing God's Word with you this morning. We've been in this series through the Gospel of Mark, and you know, the written word is the written word. It's the inevitable outcome of a God who wants to speak, isn't it? We have a speaking God. He speaks to human hearts, and He wants to speak to you. He knows precisely where you are this morning. He knows precisely where your spiritual journey is at right now. Whether you're at a high point in your faith life with him, maybe you're just floating along, or maybe you're kind of down in the dumps in your faith life. He knows those things about you this morning. And he has something to say to each one of us. He also has something to say to us as a church family, as a community of faith this morning. And uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into our text here in Mark. But know that he wants to speak to you and meet you where you are on your faith journey this morning. So let's pray. Lord, we would be stranded if you weren't a God who communicated. We would be lost and blindfolded and unable to see and know where to go and how to get through life. If you weren't a God who revealed who you are, if you weren't a God who spoke, if you aren't a God who is speaking, and we are grateful for the inevitable outcome for a God who wants to speak, to have the written word, to speak to us this morning. And so we place ourselves before you with a sense of expectation that you have something for us, something for us individually, but also something for us as a community this morning. And we do want to hear it, and we want to receive it. And so speak now for all of us. Say, Lord, we are listening. We are listening. Amen. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Tom started in uh, Mark chapter 8 and just shared about the uh, feeding of the 4,000, a wonderful a display of, of Christ's power to feed a crowd of people. And we're going to pick it up uh, right after that text in Mark chapter 8, verse 14. And I want to read these verses beforehand to get the context of the main passage that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. And so in Mark chapter 8, verse 14, it says, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Oop, I'm sorry, I'm going to start in verse 11. Uh, verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and he crossed to the other side. He's ministering on the Sea of Galilee, and he crosses the other side. The Pharisees had wanted to know, oh, give us a sign. And the interesting thing is this comes off of a wonderful display of Jesus feeding 4,000 plus people. And they're there wanting another sign. We know Jesus is going to give a sign, isn't he? The sign, the greatest sign that he was going to give is that he would die on a cross and, and rise again, right? That's the greatest sign. But they were wanting a sign in some way. Uh, ways like a magic trick. You know, give us a sign, Jesus. Give us a sign. 
And the context here in Mark, uh, as this passage unfolds, they're in a position of what? Unbelief, aren't they? They can't see any of the wonderful things that Jesus is doing, and they're in a disposition of, of unbelief in their hearts. And so Mark is kind of setting up the text we're going to look at, and he's trailing through this, this unbelief and revealing this unbelief, and we see it here in the Pharisees' hearts. But it's not just for them. It's not just in their hearts that this unbelief is happening. In verse 14, it says, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, Is it because we have no bread? Imagine that. Is it because we have no bread? What just happened? What did they just see unfold? How many basketfuls did they pick up? That's what Jesus is going to draw their attention to. In verse 17, he says, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, and how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? Do you still not understand? What creates unbelief in our hearts? As you think about your own spiritual journey, what has created times of unbelief in your own heart? Perhaps when our expectations get dashed. As you walk through life and you have a certain sense of how life is going to go and it doesn't turn out that way. Maybe your plans for your future didn't turn out that way. Maybe you thought, okay, this is where I'm going in the company. And the company takes another turn and they, they hive off a whole portion that you're a part of. And they sold off that division of your company. Expectations. Maybe they, your expectations of family changed. Maybe your expectations of friends changed. Maybe you ended up in a tragic circumstance. Maybe you've been faithfully praying for something. Just not seeing anything. And not only am I not seeing anything, but God seems silent on top of it. And I have no sense of his presence. Those things can cause unbelief in our hearts, can't they? They have, <laughs> haven't they? at various times in our, in our faith journey. And that's what Mark uh, is dealing with. That's what Jesus is dealing with. And now for our main text today, uh, as Jesus really highlights unbelief, and he walks this man that we're going to see in the text through unbelief into belief, 
And friends, he wants to do that today for you in places that you might feel, I'm in a place of unbelief right now in your own personal spiritual journey with him. But also for us as a church family to move us to a place of belief and trust and faith that he has good things for us. So let's look at how Jesus does that in Mark uh, chapter 8, verse 22. In the text, it says, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man, and they begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Don't even go into the village. I want to ask a series of questions of the text this morning. The first one is, why does Jesus lead the man outside Bethsaida? Right? Some people bring this blind man to Jesus, maybe to the city center, somewhere in the main part of the town. And Jesus takes this man by the hand and he takes him outside of the village. Why does he do that? Bethsaida was a Jewish village. As a Jewish village, it would have had the teachings of the Old Testament. It would have been primed to be able to see this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been looking for, right? They would have, the pump would have been primed because they had all of those teachings. And yet that's not the reality in this village. Bethsaida was the hometown of Peter, Andrew, and John. So you have some of those closest followers of Jesus, right? This town would have seen and had testimony of some of the wonderful and amazing things that Jesus had done and was doing. They would have witnessed many of the miracles in Jesus' ministry. However, they were filled with the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod filled with unbelief. If you remember in Matthew, Jesus, this is one of the three denounced cities uh, in Matthew. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it was more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than it will be for you. And so what is Jesus doing? He's leading this man out of a place where unbelief exists. He says, let's go from this place. And I want to move you to a place where we can change things. And he moves him outside of town, outside of Bethsaida, in order to restore uh, a couple of things Sometimes Jesus needs to move us out, doesn't he? Move us out of where we are. 
so he can move us into a new place. It's a strange event this is. Pastor Tom mentioned a couple of uh, messages ago about the idea of spitting. Why does Jesus spit in the man's eyes? Jesus uses uh, spit in several different uh, miracles uh, that he does. This one is quite interesting. You know what I really wanted to do with this? You know, the power of demonstration is amazing, isn't it? (laughs) And so I had it in my heart to say, Pastor Jim and Pastor Tom, as I read the text for this morning, could you, Jim, could you be Jesus and Tom? (laughs) Could you be the blind man? And we'll see how this thing works out here, right? The power of demonstration. But why does Jesus spit in the man's eyes? You know, I, I don't know what kind of you know, we probably all have a spitting uh, example in our lives, but I remember I was in middle school, I played hockey growing up, and we were all in line to get a drink of water, uh, taking a little break, and so we're all tired and thirsty, and we're lined up, and I'm standing there in the line, and one of the guys in front of me, he, he, he drinks some water, has it in his mouth, and as he's walking back, he stops in front of me and spits in my face. I won't tell you what I did to him. (laughs) I did react. (laughs) Right? To spit in somebody's face, right, is, it takes a lot to do that. Even if I did do that demonstration, and Tom said, oh, it's okay, Jim, you can do this. My guess, Jim, you'd have a hard time spitting in someone's face because it's very offensive it's like, it's like cursing a person. Even in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 15, 8, uh, it speaks that if you spit on a person, they're unclean. It's, it's a curse to spit on somebody. It would take a lot of emotional tension or, or something within a person to spit on another person, wouldn't it? So what is so bringing Jesus to this place, how, what, how is he so tension-filled or passionate or stirred or, or bothered within himself that he would spit on another person? What is he so riled up about? And it's unbelief, isn't it? He takes the man out of the city because there's unbelief there, right? There's some friends who bring the man to Jesus This spitting reveals how Jesus feels about unbelief because he knows it's it's hindering. It's hindering people from really seeing. Blindness was also seen as a curse. And so if spitting's a curse and Jesus spits on blindness, it's sort of like a double negative, isn't it? And if you have two negatives, what do you get? positive, you reverse it. And so by a curse of spitting upon the curse of blindness, he changes things. And Jesus can do that. He can bring sight to us. He does this miracle in two separate stages. Why does Jesus heal in two stages? What does that accomplish? There's really two miracles here. There's two miracles that take place. It's a two-stage miracle, but there are two separate miracles that make up the whole package deal. 
The first miracle is that he heals the man's faith. He heals the man's faith, right? It, Jesus had to get him outside of the town and outside of the town, right? And there, but there were people who brought the man to Jesus. Whose faith brought the man to Jesus? Somebody else's. Jesus wants us to be whole. And if he had just healed the man's blindness, he would have left him in a disposition of unbelief. And so he does this in two stages. There's times when our faith needs to be healed. Isn't that true? There's times where our faith needs to be healed. We need Jesus to touch us and do something in our faith life to restore us, to restore our trust in him, to restore our sense that he can do something with this thing that we've prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. Or when we're disappointed, and I look at just the church news over the last months, and in multi-denominations, there's a lot of hurt there. And a lot of difficulty in the church. You say, Lord, sometimes we get disillusioned even in the church. And Jesus needs to heal our faith there. That the church is a good thing. And God can do a good thing through the church. I love that he does this in two stages because he makes it so clear. He wants to heal the places where we have unbelief. And move us to a place where we can believe. What about those who brought the blind man to Jesus? Friends, sometimes our faith gets pretty weak. Sometimes it even gets non-existent. Belief is like jumper cables. It can jumpstart other people. And sometimes we need the faith of others to jumpstart our faith. I know our journey as a church hasn't been simple or easy over these past days, but as one of your pastors, uh, the other guys on staff, we, we want to lead you uh, to a place where we say, God has good things. Jesus restores. He restores faith. He restores our hope in him. And he can do that. And he will do that for us. And there's times where we just need somebody else to come alongside us and say, let's go before him. Come on, I'm going to take you to Jesus. I'm going to take you to Jesus. And there with Jesus, he'll do something. He'll meet you because that's who he is. That's what he can do. And the role of other people is significant. There's times where every one of us knows we need somebody else. <laughs> and our faith is at an all-time low. And I hope to God when I'm in that place, you come to me in that place. And when we find out that you're in that place, that we would come to you and say, okay, let's hook up these jumper cables and I'll believe for you until you can believe again for yourself. Amen? Right? That's the body of Christ. That's what it means to be the people of God. God may have somebody else in your life also that needs your jumper cables, that needs your faith, that needs you to take them to Jesus, maybe for the first time. 
Maybe there's somebody who's hurting at work or at school. and you t- I want to take you to somebody who I think can help you. Take them to Jesus and watch what he can do for them. This text ends in a very interesting way. That closing part, Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Why does he do that? What he just restored, he doesn't want the man to lose. He brought him out of this place of unbelief. The man's faith probably was suffering. He'd been blind, don't totally know why. But when you have some sort of pain or difficulty, don't you try everything? You try everything to try to fix it. And then sometimes there's no fix. Nothing comes, nothing happens. And that's probably why this man's faith was was so low or non-existent. And so it's a little shaky. (laughs) He says, don't go back. Don't go back to a place of unbelief. I've restored you. I've healed you. It was such a loving question to ask him. What do you see? (laughs) What do you see? And he's like, could you imagine what happened to the man? For the first time, he opens his eyes. He's like, to see anything at all would have taken this dried up, crusty old balloon and blew faith back into the man. And out of that faith, Jesus completed that miracle. And now he says, but don't go back to that place. You know who I am now. You've seen it. You've experienced it. Don't go back. Don't go back into unbelief. Friends, we've seen God do some pretty neat things as a church over the years. Let's not go to unbelief. Let's not move back into that place. Rather, let's let's go into a place of belief and see what God can do. Look back on the moments where Jesus has met you personally. And if you're in a place of unbelief now, you say, he's met me before. And I'm going to hang on. I'm going to hang on and let him restore my sight. I want to give you a couple of moments. I want to do two things as we close. I want to give you a couple of moments to let Jesus speak to you. Where in your own journey do you need Jesus to restore something? A place for you that you've lost hope, that maybe you're stuck in a place of unbelief, Let Jesus speak to you and point that one place out. So it's just going to be still in the room. Bow your head and spend a few moments. Get into your soul and let Jesus, let his spirit speak to you. What is that area? What is that area? Okay, take a few minutes and just reflect there for a moment. What's the spot the spirit is touched on? 
don't want you to have to muster up your own kind of faith. The neat thing about this account is Jesus did it. We can't dig ourselves out or will ourselves. or b- Jesus has to do something in that place. Lord, you know in each of our hearts where there's a, a struggle <laughs> to believe. And we just say, Jesus, would you do something in that spot, in that place? Do something in that place. I do believe Jesus can meet you there, friends. And he can turn where there's unbelief into belief. And I do believe it for you. That's who he is. And that's what he does. I don't want to leave it just personal. I think there's something here for us as a church family. When I was in Africa, one of the missionaries, we took time for silence to hear things from the Lord. And one of the missionaries received a very clear word from the Lord. Very often, because I'm, I'm very connected uh, with that family, I have found that things God says to them mean something here, and things that God has spoken to me about the family here, I find they translate into something particular for them. And so in that way, I, I'm a part of them, and they're a part of me, and we're a part of the body. And this is what one of the missionaries Uh, It was really a prophetic word that he gave to the team there. This is what the word was. Change is coming. You cannot stop it. Sometimes when change is happening, don't we want to (laughs) cling? It's like, no, no, this was good. This was, right? We, We can feel that within ourselves. And then the last part of the word, you don't want to stop it. Because God is good. Change is coming here at Hope Church. It's, it's happening. We cannot stop it. And we have no need to stop it. It's true of Pastor Tom's journey, right? There's change coming. Can't stop it. But we don't want to. Because God leads us to good things. The act of spitting on the man's eyes was a prayer. It was an acted kind of praying. It was a a physical demonstration. And I'd like to do a demonstration as a church that we will stand together before the Lord and say, Jesus, would you heal us? We need that as a church. And lead us into a place where we believe you for the things to come. And so I want to ask you, uh, we're going to stand And I want to just ask you just to come to the front. Would you just come stand and just come to the front and fill the aisles? I'm going to ask everyone to do that as a demonstration that we will come before the Lord. So stand up. Come on. It's a group effort here. And remember, uh, it's faith together. There was a whole town who was struggling to believe you. 
Look around. This is our family. This is our family. Change is coming. We can't stop it. And we don't need to because God is good.